You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Today's guest on Fly McCall is Bitch Seat. The fuzzy, 90s-tinged power-pop band just signed to Refresh Records and released the first single off their forthcoming EP, I'll Become Kind. The EP is a journey towards self-love, which is something we could all use a little more of these days. Our conversation hits on those lyrical themes, the members' orchestral origins, their Cleveland musical community, and much more. Enjoy. With the first single, Antidepressed, you know, being out coming out last week, um, I read about how it was kind of like a super collaborative process, uh, kind of more so than some of the other stuff that you've done. Can you tell me a little bit more about how that kind of song came together? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I was kind of in a lyrical rut. You know, sometimes that happens. I just like couldn't come up with anything. And when I get that way, I reach out to all of them because the way that I write lyrics is I'll think of an idea or a line. I'll put it in my phone. So like in my notes app. Uh, so I reach out to them and ask the whole group if anyone has any, any lyrics they're sitting on if I'm really stuck. And Evan actually had a whole song that he had written like a couple years prior to that, that was like a totally different vibe. I didn't even listen to it. I just asked for the lyrics. And so I took those and the basic chord progression that he had like written on the lyrics. And he, he even asked me if I wanted the song so I could like use that. And I, I just wanted it to sound like it would be a bitch seat song instead of someone else's song because I didn't write any of the words. <laughs> so yeah, I took that and I came up with Antidepressed and it was a lot different than what he originally wrote, which was much folkier, way different vibe than what we ended up coming up with. So. And how did that kind of like transformation process uh, end up happening? I guess because he gave me the chord progression, I I read it as a way different vibe than, I, I, I'm trying to think of how I actually, <laughs> it was a long time ago. Um, I wanted it to be a pop song. I wanted it to sound like a pop song. So I rearranged a lot of the stuff that he had written. So like, if he had a verse here, I kind of moved it down here. And I took that chorus, which was not at all intended, I learned later to be a chorus. Yeah, it was just a lot of, um, plugging things around and seeing how they worked out and we got it wrong. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, you mentioned it kind of like being a while ago at this point, especially like, you know, with music coming out now, I'm always curious kind of like when, what was the like writing and recording process like and kind of when did it happen for this EP? <laughs> yeah. We recorded this like almost exactly a year ago. It was like last February and, uh, 
we were originally planning to release this not as an EP, but do like four singles um, throughout 2020. So we were, we had these big plans. We were going to like, you know, maybe do like one per quarter or something like that and kind of drag it out. And, you know, obviously 2020 changed things. So we um, finally got in touch with Refresh Records with Josh. And uh, he was like, I would love to put this out as an EP if you guys are willing. And by then it had been a year. This was like Christmas time. Mm-hmm. So we were like, Sure. Like we, we <laughs> maybe put these songs out for so much longer than we thought. And sure, they can be an EP. Absolutely. And we're so happy with that. Like, I feel like the four of them do really go together as, as a nice package and kind of a nice follow-up to bees. Um, so it worked out for sure, but it is not how we originally intended. <laughs> yeah. I mean, could you tell me a little bit more about kind of like that, that process of, you know, having to adapt the release schedule? So we didn't have any, any sort of preparation for like it being a full unit. So we had to, you know, create art and do like conceptualize it completely differently when before we were like, oh, we're just going to drop these four singles in and have like probably complimentary art for that. But we hadn't actually gotten through any of the process of doing that. So it was a bit of a scramble because we had just gotten signed and Josh had this little window that he really wanted an artist to put music in and then he signed us and he's like perfect (laughs) music so uh yeah we definitely it was the fastest release in uh refresh records history (laughs) we just really had to scramble to get everything together but luckily Kristen is a graphic designer and I love to doodle things so that is a pretty good combination of just like (laughs) I made this dog can you turn it into a sticker kind of thing (laughs) (laughs) yeah like just putting everything together from like the merch to like the album itself and like the liner notes and all that stuff was just like it was like hyper speed it was was just a few weeks very stressful and it was like all kind of around Christmas time too and we were like what do we name this thing yeah Uh, yeah like yeah it was just it was wild but very happy to kind of be able to start rolling it out now and just kind of like sit back and watch it happen and have that hard part over with. Yeah, for sure. I, I feel like that must kind of like a little bit change the way you kind of like uh, connect with it, you know, being kind of like this far removed and then having to like do it all at once. Like that's a very interesting, you know, kind of happenstance. It's very zero to 60. I'm trying to remember how long after recording bees that we actually put it out, but I think it was kind yeah. of similar. Well, I was going to say, because like when we recorded these, we were sort of riding off of the, the excitement of putting out our first album, bees. So it was like, you know, we were like, yeah, riding this high of that. Let's get into the studio. Mm-hmm. Let's keep recording. Let's keep this momentum going kind of thing, you know, and then just Let it boom. For sure. Yeah. And um, the episode that went up last week was with this band called Baby Got Back Talk. And I, I said how I kind of like really love how they meld, you know, like an early 2000s pop punk song with lyrics that feel very much of, you know, of today. And I, I feel similarly with Bitch Seat, except with kind of like the 90s alt rock sound. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about how you kind of like bring those two aspects together, like the the more present lyricism with the the older sound? I think that lyrics are becoming more and more vulnerable, um, which I, I, I really appreciate and think is a really wonderful thing. Um, 
because I think our generation is like more vulnerable than the last and it's that is a trend as the generations sprout but I definitely think that we so much of our sound is in that vulnerability and all of the lyric writing is is about like you know really personal stuff and really kind of putting it out there but it's kind of like that meme. Do you know that meme of the two houses next to each other and one is like black and the other one's like pink and it's like lyrics and like the way it sounds. I think part of we could probably describe that way because like a lot of the lyrics are kind of heavy, but uh, it's like in this little cute pink house of a package. And I think antidepressed definitely fits that bill. Yeah, no, I feel like you said that flawlessly. I don't, yeah. Shocking. I, <laughs> I don't know how I could add to that, but yeah, I mean, I, I agree with Taylor. It's just, I, I think it's just a lot to do with like what we listen to in our childhood and stuff, but just bringing like, you know, yeah, just, just so influenced by, I think like the set, that sound more than anything. And then, you know, just writing about whatever the fuck we want to write about. Yeah. We want to write lyrics like to fit the sound, I guess. Yeah. Which is pretty yeah. much what you just said. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's like the kind of way that music has opened up and the kind of like breakdown of genre and like you know just generally like you know like you said kind of like the lyrics and the the music don't necessarily have to match totally like I think that's something that's been so exciting about music in the past you know five or ten years (laughs) absolutely I personally really don't like the idea of genre like I, I don't like having to be inside of a box of a genre Every time someone asks us what our genre is, I'm like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> I don't music. Wanna... Yeah, it is what the genre is what the listener wants it to be. That's like what I would like to have just like tattooed on my forehead. But um... <laughs> yeah, I mean, you mentioned kind of like a lot of the sounds being influenced by um, you know the stuff that you grew up on. I'm curious, you know. I obviously like I grew up in the 90s but I was you know I grew up on country music and I didn't really get into the rock music until you know 2005-ish and so like I'm curious what were kind of those some of those uh jumping off points for you musically um it's funny because it sounds very 90s in a lot of ways but I think a lot of our influence is actually from the early 2000s (laughs) I'm I'm almost 30 so I definitely like have a deep connection with the 90s music, but more so like true pop, like not to genreize anything. <laughs> Boys and, and Spice Girls are definitely pop music. Um, so th- that is definitely where I was in the 90s, was in that realm. But now looking back, I'm very much like Alanis is so cool. And like, there's so much, so much cool music from the 90s. But I'd say that overwhelmingly, we're really influenced by like Michelle Branch and like, Honestly, Kelly Clarkson on like one of the songs that we're about to put out on this EP is very Kelly. Like, yeah, Evanescence is huge for me, (laughs) but Amy Lee is my girl. And I mean, one of the things that kind of like really stands out to me about Bitch Seat is like the the fullness in the sound. Uh, How did you kind of like go about developing that when you kind of first started getting together? Kristen, Connor, and I, Connor is our bassist, all started as orchestra dorks, orc dorks, um, cellists. So I think that we have kind of grown up really like clinging to the idea of like everything has its place musically, like uh, like a string quartet, everything, the four instruments are all really important and balance each other out. And I think that we approach the way that we write stuff now very much with that kind of lens. So like the bass isn't just chugging, we don't do that. We don't, 
we don't have a lot of songs that just kind of end up that way. And when they do, it, it feels like really important. At least I think they do. Um, but overwhelmingly, everything kind of is very melodic and like moving all over the place and weaving. So the fullness is very much from that classical background. Yeah, we're very obsessive about, like Taylor said, like not just chugging. Like I feel like we're very obsessive about just like how everyone's part fits like fits into the puzzle and mm -hmm. you know no one can be playing in the same register like if I start playing a line that's too low and then I'll be like oh shoot I'm stepping on Connor's toes like let me move back up the fretboard and like stay in my lane mm -hmm. here like we're very like you know like a string quartet we very much treat our parts that way and just make sure it's super balanced and that it just kind of feels like a composition mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so is the is the writing process kind of approached more like compositionally or more like writing together and kind of jamming it out? It depends on which era of our writing process you're talking about, because this past year was definitely very different because we spent so much of the front end of it not together. So everything I wrote last year, which is not on this EP, is I like I just had to write it myself. But before that, it definitely was a collaboration. Like we definitely had like a lot of sit down, like, okay, here's my skeleton of a song. Like I'll go for it. And we would like play on it for a couple hours and come up with some ideas. Yeah. I feel like the EP is sort of the beginnings of this more like Taylor as a composer approach. Mm -hmm. um, Cause it's, it's sort of half and half. Like I think we started out writing those four songs just sort of in like the jam scenario um like all in the practice space but some of the other ones like taylor kind of came more with parts assigned to us and was kind of writing them on her own um so it's sort of the beginnings of that style um which is cool but i mean sort of kind of like being a little bit more hands-off how does that kind of affect the way that you you um are like connecting with the music um I mean, Taylor, like, I wouldn't say I'm totally hands off. Like, Taylor is still constantly, like, showing me everything along the way. And she'll be like, oh, I just wrote you this, like, really cool part. And she'll send it to me. You know, and, and I'm still, like, coming over and learning these parts kind of as she's writing them. So it's it's just, it's, I'm still hands on. I'm just hands on in a different way. And, and I'm, like, I don't mind taking direction. Like, I feel like I'm... I'm happy being the person to just tell me what to do and I'll do it. So it's definitely worked out. And um, I think it's, it, it does help us in the long run because we'll just, there's advantages and disadvantages, mm -hmm. I guess, but um, you know, we're, we're not afraid to just like sit down and practice for hours and hours and hours. So <laughs> we'll learn <Yeah>. our parts <laughs> if we have to, we don't mind. I also think there's like, I mean, I'm not the one learning someone else's part. I'm the one writing them. But in the past and currently, like recently, I just did these videos with the Sonderbombs where I was playing keys. I was in another band called Being Still, or I am in another band called Being Still. It's been a year or so. <laughs> Stuff so long ago. Um, and I think there's a lot to learn from learning other people's music, like the way that other people approach writing things and like getting that in your hands. It's just like kind of unlocks a different puzzle that you never opened before in your brain. Uh, and I think that that's like really beneficial for anyone like to just start learning how other people write. I don't know if I necessarily feel like this more so than bees, but I feel like it 
kind of stands out a little bit more than B's, the kind of like laid back energy, you know, and the way that it allows for some really nice, like contrasting and builds in the song, like, especially on like wasting my own time is kind of like one of my favorite, you know, kind of moments on the EP. Can you talk a little about kind of like, you know, the making those moments? That, that one was a very collaborative song. That out of... Yeah. Yeah, that one we were really like not as prepared for as the other ones. Like we didn't have the ending written at all for like, like I, we had an idea of what the drum was going to do. The drum, the one drum, the drums. Um, <laughs> I had the my rhythm part down, um, but we didn't have any real direction for that end kind of like fade out. We wrote it all in the studio and the first melody that comes in, I, I'm playing and then Kristen played the second one. So it's kind of like this weaving of brains. So yeah, that one in particular, very collaborative at the end. Yeah, a lot of improv on that one, mm-hmm. like guitar wise, maybe bass and drums wise. I, I can't remember, remember. <laughs> but like, I remember you two, like us with Steve, our producer, we were just like in there on guitar day, just passing guitars yeah. back and forth. <laughs> just like, like, we're gonna figure something out. And it's pro, mm, I don't know how to pick a favorite, but it's like, I keep, wanting it to be my favorite on the EP because I just love it so much. I feel like you can, just from talking to you, you can tell like the the excitement that you have for your music. And uh, obviously we're, uh, I think on Sunday, actually, I'm coming up on the year anniversary of the last show that I saw. But I'm curious, like, can you talk a little bit about, you know, how, how that energy translates to the live show? Man, oh man. <laughs> well, it starts with Taylor. <laughs> I feel like Taylor carries just like so much of it because she's just like got just so much power in her her performances. <laughs> so like that that is like the standout thing right there is just the vocal performance and, and everything. But thanks, um, friend. <laughs> it's true. But um but I mean, we're all just like, like Taylor said, we started out so long ago as orchestra friends. So we're just, we have such a strong bond as friends and we're just like really a family and like just goofy together and love each other so much, which sounds so corny. But, but we are true. best friends. Like all of us are very much best friends. Like I yeah. see Kristen, like yeah. this is the only person I see in, in COVID yes. times. But. Yeah. I see you like multiple times a week. We're like, con- like our text chain goes so far in one day. It's like, just how much we communicate with each other. So like, I think that that really does translate to the stage. Like we have mm-hmm. a lot of fun. It's been a long time, but I do remember, I recall in the past having a really great time on stage. <laughs> For yeah. sure. Yeah, I mean, you kind of mentioned um, Taylor's vocal style, which is, you know, super like powerful and kind of like belting in a way, I guess is some of the way I would describe it. I'm curious, like, how did you kind of, you know, develop and grow into that, that style? So I actually didn't know I had any voice on me at all until I was in, we, we were actually all Connor, Kristen and I, not, not Evan, because we, we all met at OU. Um, and we, the three of us were in another band uh, that is like, it was an orchestral folk rock band where the three of us all played cello. There were three cellos in one band. It was like really a sound person's sports night. Um, but so we, we met through that and I never knew I could sing until the front person just really started pushing me to sing. 
I was kind of like the the lead guitarist of that band, if you will. Um, at least my role was. And so, yeah, he was like, you just, you got to sing, this is your part. And I, I was just like very afraid and timid, but I don't know. I just kind of started pushing it out. And now I can sing. I, I don't know how it happened. It just developed over several years. People to sing in a kind of musical theatery style voice that I don't know where it came from. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, it's funny. That's kind of like, a reoccurring theme in the the podcast lead singer syndrome with Shane told from Silverstein, like just the, the, you know, guitarists getting pushed into singing or like being the only one who could sing <laughs> the only one in the band who could like kind of carry a tune or whatever. That's really funny the way that happens with so many people. <laughs> I'm really glad I did. I was like very upset with him at first because I did not want to sing, but now I'm like, thank you for <laughs> starting me on this journey because it's my favorite thing to do now. So Awesome. Uh, I mean, the whole EP kind of centers around, you know, learning to love yourself with kind of good enough being the the culmination of that theme. Um, Can you talk a little bit about what that self-care looks like for you and how it kind of affects the music? So the, yeah, you, you nailed it. The entire EP is very much like kind of a journey of like trying to accept who you are, being kind to yourself. Um, not comparing yourself to others. There's a there's a lot built into it, like kind of shedding your skin, trying to accept the size you were before you grew, if you don't, if you, if you will. Um, but Good Enough in particular is actually a love song to myself. So like, it, it does end with this kind of like, I am good enough, I am good enough. Like, I make myself feel good enough. And that is like, yeah, very important. I love that song so much. That is my favorite. If I'm allowed, um, the writing it is self care. That that is like really my form of self care is is writing music. Um, it is definitely my therapy. I if I have if I have a feeling, I go to the guitar. Like I I need to have one in my hand when I'm like down. It really helps me. So that that is my main form of self care is just pushing the songs out. And yeah, I mean, you mentioned earlier how you you two both kind of worked on the the graphic side of. Um, you know, the, the art direction for the EP. And I, I love the kind of like the the sheen to it and the bright colors. I'm curious, can you talk a little bit about, you know, kind of the thought that went into that aspect of it? Well, we didn't, we didn't do the album art. The album art was by Violet Hill. Um, and like I said, we were like going crazy over Christmas. Like, what do we name this? What do we do for album art? Blah, blah, blah. So we were just um, kind of, talking back and forth over text. Um, and we were like sending each other different Instagrams of artists we liked and stuff like that. And Taylor was like, well, I, I really love the idea of kind of making it more like, like, a, like this like kind of watercolor illustration style. And we love the idea of like a lot of like pink and red and just like, we, we're a very bright colored band to begin with of bright colors mm-hmm. so we were like let's just lean into this like pink and red or like pink and blue kind of idea and um we found violet on instagram she actually is someone i went to high school with and taylor was like that i want that yeah. style like, okay sure like i love it so she just we sent violet the ep and like our thoughts on it and she just like literally the first thing she drew we were like I want to kiss you on the forehead right now like you are perfect (laughs) like this is so good um and yeah it's just 
it, it kind of has like Taylor said, like shedding your skin and self-care and growth and all that. Like she incorporated that into the album artwork um, with like the flowers and the lizard and the the magic eight ball Mm -hmm. and like the phone off the hook like all this stuff she incorporated was just so cool and the way she interpreted kind of the meanings behind the songs and stuff um was just so spot on and the color palette and we're just very excited about it i'm gonna go on about it oh yeah (laughs) yeah big time nice yeah i feel like it's this sounds weird but i I almost want to like have the the artwork in like candy form like it looks like edible (laughs) i think that makes total sense it's definitely candy colored you know it's like reminiscent of those like i don't even know what they're called or and i can't even imagine what they taste like it's literally you know how it's like a strip of paper and then it's just like those pastel colored dots it's called buttons candy dots candy butter that's what i call them (laughs) sugar yeah. yeah, pretty much. I feel like half the taste is paper of those. Yeah. <laughs> nice. I, I, you mentioned the Sonderbombs earlier, another Cleveland band. And uh, I feel like Cleveland is kind of one of those kind of underrated scenes in the, the States. Um, can you talk a little bit about kind of the, the community there and, you know, where you fit in? So, yeah, totally. Um I agree. I think that Cleveland has an incredible music scene and there's a lot of really, really talented bands. So we have a lot of music friends here. Like I think the Sonderbombs is probably, they're probably our bestest music buds. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's so hard to talk about the community without experiencing it for a year. It's really wild. But this entire past year has just been so weird not seeing the community, but Twitter is such like a important thing for a community at least like I mean it could be chaotic but it's like a hub of like we're all there we can we can talk to each other we can message each other but man do I just miss going to to May Halls and seeing like people from like uh Sure Machine seeing Anthony from Sure Machine at the bar and being like yes like (laughs) our people are here Slugfest that's another incredible band Um, Punch Drunk yeah we have a lot of friends yeah it's just (laughs) lucky it's such a bummer because yeah I would say May Halls is like the place to be like that that's where like we had our release show where Sonderbombs had their release show for Modern Female Rockstar mm-hmm. but yeah it's that was like kind of like the hub and like the centerpiece of like the at least like the Cleveland scene that we fit into or that we kind of more so see ourselves in mm-hmm. um Oh, the Grievance Club. I can't believe I oh, the Grievance Club. didn't yeah. mention those beautiful people. But yeah, very appreciative of our scene. Really, really yeah. solid people. Um, when we moved back to Cleveland from Athens, or when you just moved to Cleveland because you had not lived here before, uh, we didn't have like a lot of people in the community besides just like my mom. Um, <laughs> so it was... We, we hadn't really established the band quite yet. And through establishing the band, we got so many great friends and very much appreciative of this scene. There's just a lot of really honestly good people. The Midwest yeah. is the best, I'm sorry. We have nice people. It's <laughs> awesome. I mean, you mentioned kind of like the the pivoting of the community to Twitter. I'm curious, like how, you know, with the first single and everything, how, how is that kind of like rollout and, you know, connecting with fans been, you know, in that way versus, you know, like the rollout for bees. Um, it's, I mean, 
it's such a like double-edged sword I don't know if that's the right word for that it's it's wonderful <laughs> yeah it's complicated because it's like it's wonderful because like we are getting a lot of really nice response from the single and we got some really great press and we were so like lucky and thankful for that and it's awesome um and it's still early so I guess we'll see like it's it's definitely been like more than we've ever seen before and I think mm -hmm. signing to refresh has definitely helped with that but um it's just such a fleeting thing to kind of release a single nowadays because you can't go out and or, or an album or release anything because you can't go out and tour on it so it's just kind of like here you go and then it just feels like it disappears into the other and it's like does anyone even know that we ever existed yeah we might just be a figment of their like how would they even know we yeah. don't play shows so it's yeah it's very it's very weird but it's been an exciting week for sure mm -hmm. so far and Twitter has been very helpful with yes. that. Like yeah. social media, as, as like frustrating as it can get, is very important for a band. Like we we are very grateful for the amount of response we get on Twitter and like all the moms loving us on Facebook is always so nice. Um, they, they, it's like a race who can comment like, my lovely daughter, my lovely son, anything. It's very embarrassing, but also very cute. So I can't, I can't tell her to stop. <laughs> I love that. That's so wholesome. <laughs> They're cute. Love their Facebook. They do. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't even have a Facebook for the podcast because I'm like, no, nah, that, that's not my, not my thing. <laughs> oh, it's not worth it. But if we got rid of our Facebook, like, I think that yeah. there would be like a, a change.org made for <laughs> your mom and my mom and like. <laughs> They need their own support group. <laughs> yeah. They would it. need that that one uh, Twitter liaison. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, honestly, like, I think, I think my dad gets more action on, like, the bitch seed stuff that he shares as opposed to, like, us actually. <laughs> like, she will post something and it'll be crickets. And then my dad will share it and it'll be, like, a hundred likes yeah. and a thousand it's because they post all the time yeah. our parents so they're great the algorithm loves them yeah meanwhile it's like giving us the middle finger because there's just like dust all over the page. <laughs> how the turntables yeah. <laughs> i mean i always like to wrap up the same way which is kind of by asking you know either for a piece of advice or something you've been thinking about lately that you wanted to share whether it's you know music or life in general or kind of whatever else is on your mind Practice with a metronome. That is my best advice I can give anyone. If you're not practicing with a metronome, you are not learning to your fullest ability. It is very important. Practice everything with a metronome. We practice constantly with a metronome. We just blare it through the PA and it's very irritating, but it's to the point that we do it so often that like I can't, I ignore it when it, we're just like talking and it's like, yeah, 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 and we're just, like having a conversation. Yeah, very important. That's my best advice I can give anyone. Again, it's that it's that orchestra yeah. influence that sticks with you, mm -hmm. but makes you good at practicing, I yeah. guess. <laughs> and just practice all the time. If you want to be a musician, that is important. Yeah. And any other advice? I think that's great advice to end on. <laughs> and there you have it. Bitch seat. Keep your eyes and ears peeled for more from I'll Become Kind out March 5th. Bitch Seat definitely feel like they're onto something special and just need to have the right people hear them to thrive even more. 
Hopefully you're one of those right people. Find the Call is brought to you by Sound Talent Media. A special thank you as always to The Alternative for helping to promote the show, Kaylin West of Tiny Stills for the theme song, and Michaela Jane Palermo for the artwork. You can keep up to date by subscribing to the podcast and following the show on Twitter and Instagram at FindTheCallPod. Feel free to email any questions, comments, or other feedback to me at FindTheCallPod at gmail.com. Love each other and love yourself. Bowie, Dylan, Marley, you've heard the names and maybe you've heard their songs, but what about the stories behind the records that made titans of music like these so universally loved and important? Join me, Josh Adam Myers, host of The 500, as each week I go through a different album from Rolling Stone Magazine's 500 Greatest Albums list from 2012 with an incredible lineup of comedians, actors, and musicians talking about how the music has impacted their lives. New episodes of The 500 come out every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts.